Welcome to the 78th episode of the Hondo Handy Podcast, brought to you by Ed Heidemann Drywall and Custom Painting, including residential and commercial power washing, located at 36722 Roxana Road in Somerville, Delaware. Call 302-436-6277 or find them on the web at edheidemandrywall.com. My guest today is Marty McNair. How are you doing today, Marty? Hey, Hondo. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, man, this is fantastic. It was a pleasure meeting you down at the National Alliance for Youth Sports Congress in San Antonio, Texas, and I am so excited to have you on today to share your journey. Thank you. Marty, let me tell my listeners a little bit about you before we get started. Marty is the father, is a father, thought leader, motivational speaker, advocate, and founder of the Jordan McNair Foundation. Following the death of his son, Jordan, Marty began spreading the message of player safety to parents, coaches, and students across the country. His story appeared on Good Morning America, CNN, ESPN, SportsCenter, HBO's Real Sports. Today, Marty resides in Baltimore, Maryland, and continues to work tirelessly to prevent any more parents from feeling the anguish of losing a child to a preventable injury. The mission of the Jordan McNair Foundation as a nonprofit organization is to promote awareness, education, and advocate for parents and students about heat-related illness at the youth, high school, and collegiate levels. They seek to diminish the occurrence of heat-related illness and improve player safety. He's also the executive director of Mesa Castle Behavior Health Program located in the eastern corridor of Baltimore City. Marty had an impressive uh, work so far. You've done impressive work so far. Congratulations. Thank you, Hondo. Thank you, man. We, you know, we're just trying to sit here and have a voice to really make a difference, man, for this, uh, for these type of injuries so many people don't know about. And, and that's really, you know, one of the main things that we focus on. Yeah. So we've been busy to say the least. Well, it is certainly a good topic to be discussing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty, tell my listeners a little bit about your upbringing, maybe where you grew up and, and if you played any sports before high school. Yeah, so, Hondo, I grew up um, in uh, Baltimore, in West Baltimore City, uh, the west, okay. pa- west part of Baltimore City. Um, and basically, you know, I always played sports as a kid, um, you know, coming up from, I mean, literally youth sports all the way up really until, you know, I got to high school. And then, you know, I've always, uh, unfortunately for me, you know, I really didn't have a a um, a solid father figure around me. So my right. father lived in another state, and I would really kind of attend. I would always go to hang out with him in the summer times or visit him in the summer. Where right. in reality, you know, I just didn't have that 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 consistent role model of a father. So really, I, I went from. Uh, playing uh, intramural sports from, you know, youth all the way up. And then when I got to high school, obviously I, I made the high school team. However, you know, I just really got so caught up in uh, the streets and making poor decisions and just all the statistical stuff that was going on with uh, a young black male in the eighties that, um, you know, really, it, it just didn't, you know, I just really focused more intramural sports. So I just didn't really have the discipline or somebody really to push me really to kind of, you know, focus on my um, uh, athletic potential in a sense. Yep. Well, was was one of your favorite sports that you did play uh, basketball? 
yeah, I was always a basketball player, really didn't know a whole lot about football, you know, like really had never really had an interest in football until, you know, I got to be an adult, but I never, my, my really, my real interest really came when Jordan started playing and that's when I really became like more of a student of the game at that point. Yep. Now, um, what, um, what high school did you attend? I went to Emerson High School in Emerson Village. That's the area I grew up in. Okay. Yeah. And th- and then you went on to further your education. Yeah, yeah. So I went to um. Uh, it's always a toss up. Which was the first HBCU? Was it Lincoln or uh, Cheney <laughs> University in Pennsylvania? You know, everybody from Lincoln always said it was Lincoln, but right. it just was a matter of who got their accreditation. Uh, first. <laughs> so actually, I, I wound up going to Cheney University. And the interesting thing, Hondo, you know, really, I was always an athlete at heart, because if you always ask me, like, the crowd that I always ran with, I always hung out with the athletes, with the basketball players. Right. Like, all the basketball players were my friends, and those were always the guys that I hung out with. And even looking back at it now, like, I didn't even really consciously even pay that any attention in regards to you know the people I associated with but it was always the athletes well what um you know was Cheney uh Cheney University right yes sir was that your first choice or were you actually considering other schools yeah you know what really you know keep in mind you know back in those days of the type of school that I really went to you know, when I look back at Jordan's opportunities versus my opportunities, and I talk about that in my book, really, where he was at versus where I was at, you know, really, it was really an interesting thing because the dynamic was so different in regards to, like, the schools that you went to. Like, I went to a uh, um, Emerson Westside. Uh, they had changed it over to a skill center. So, basically, it was like a trade school. But in reality, I, I never really was a trade-type guy. So, I was always more of a college prep guy. But at the end of the day, when I really look back at it, you know, really the preparation that they gave you for college really wasn't the best. And I, and I think that they do students a disservice in regards to certain schools and certain cities because, you know, I look at Jordan and Jordan was an athlete. And even though our, our trajectory was so total, with a total opposites, you know, I was a delinquent by the time I got to high school. Right. So in reality, like, you know, Jordan – had a um, Jordan had college offers in the ninth grade. He had looks, you know, Ohio right. State and Maryland, ironically, had offered him in the ninth grade. You know, wow. so again, you know, even being offered at that young age really doesn't have a lot of value. But still, he saw what he, his potential was. And it's right. like, OK, if they want me in the ninth grade, you know, what would it be if, by the time I get to the 12th grade? In the right. And then when you look at colleges or you look at Jordan with the McDonough High School in Owens Mills, that's a private school and obviously they have a lot of different resources way more resources than a public school but college was always on his mind for me you know it was like you know we never really even saw the SAT test until it was time to take the test right. so we didn't know the value of it in those days to really or coming out of certain schools that really weren't focused on college prep college prep, prep I sound like you under college prep, preparatory schools that really got you to the next level and that school that I went to just wasn't one of those schools. Uh, I certainly understand yep. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you ended up going to uh, Cheney. What what was your major in at Cheney? Oh, it, it was business administration. Okay, yeah, it was business administration. Yep. Now, when you you, you said you were playing sports, uh, was you just your mother? Someone 
was there one person that encouraged you to play sports? No, nah, you know, actually, believe it or not, it was the next door neighbor. The next okay. door neighbors, you know, they had a family of five. My mom was a single parent. Right. Um, the next door neighbor had a family of five. And, and it was just really, you know, with sports, it was one of those things that when we started playing sports with social nutrition at that time and not even really knowing it, you know, all your friends played sports. And the interesting thing was, I remember when I came, when I grew up, it was only maybe three, I remember three fathers in our community. My next door neighbor, you know, they had a family of five and they just were very, very, really, really good. He was a really good example of what a father was supposed to be. Right. Um, this was, they were kind of like my siblings. I'm the only child. And then uh, my, my mm. friends, my childhood friends father, he used to coach us in basketball and take us to and fro practice. And then I think that another friend of mine, his father coached us in 13 and under uh, BNBL, which was the summer league. And after that, Hondo, you know, really, it was just older guys that were coaching teams at that point. So right. it was always kind of like, you know, the peers or the big, the older, the older guys in the neighborhood. But when you look at it, when I look back at it, in retrospect, these guys weren't but maybe three, four years older than us. You know, right. the maturity <laughs> level was totally different at that time. You know, right. yeah, it, it was totally different. So, like, it was literally our older peers that were coaching the teams, really. Well, I, you know, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, we, you know, we just were more so, you know, we were a tougher athlete now. And it's just like looking back at it, it's just like, wow, you know, it, we were, you know, the, the way that we advocate the sports safety. And, and I look back at all these different things that we advocate for. I look at all these things we advocate for now. And none of these things were prevalent when I was coming up. No, you were. No. You, hey, look, you didn't you couldn't pay to get on the team. You tried out. And guess what? We were. If you had certain T-shirts that if you had a five-star T-shirt for the five-star basketball camp, like that was the equivalent of, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was, you know, you were a real athlete at that point. So, like, we really played in the skins and shirts. So, it wasn't matching sneakers and matching T-shirts. That was only in high school, you know? Right. I, I yeah. For those days. Yeah, man. It, it, it was a different <laughs> day. You know, like your parent couldn't pay dues or pay, you know, the – the membership or or the uh, the uh, sign up fee, and you automatically on the team. No, you had to make the team back in those days. Right. <laughs> yeah, your talent got you on the team, and that was it. Yeah. Now your son uh, Jordan, obviously he was an all around athlete. Um, uh -huh. How would you describe Jordan? Man, uh, boy, Jordan, man, Jordan was just really like a, a great kid. He was he he was so much. He was, I, I say that he was so much better than me at his age because, you know, he kind of moved at his own pace. And, 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 but again, he listened to me. And that's one of the things that I always kind of encourage with him like, son, you know, just be comfortable with who you are. You know, you don't have to be a, a, a follower ever. You know, hey, look, if you always be a leader, you'll make out better. You know, guess what? You don't have to go with the crowd. And all these things that I did coming up when I was his age, you know, literally I just encouraged him, you know, the one thing I wish I had was that constant father figure just saying, Hey Marty, don't go that way. You know, this is what's going to happen. So these were the things that just really like, I really just encouraged him to be his best at all times. And man, he was just really like, uh, um, surprisingly Jordan, even though I'm extremely talkative, but Jordan was just a very, very kind of laid back stoic type guy, you know, like he, you know, he had his couple friends and, he was really always the – Jordan was a big guy ever since he was a little guy. 
So by him, I think that he always kind of had more of a laid back demeanor because he was always the tallest in the class. Right. You know, he was the tallest in the school. <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> like, you know, let me be cool over here and not draw a lot of attention to myself. Right. So I think that's his demeanor really kind of was based around that. And a lot of things that, you know, I used to kind of emphasize to him, he had kind of really just grabbed that in his, you know, personality in a sense. And that's just kind of like who he was. And, and I think with me, really, really saying all the time, like, son, you know, it's no need to rush this. It's no need to rush that. Just take your time. It'll come. And I never had anybody really to kind of say that to me. You know, I didn't have that father figure or that that male role model where it was like, you know, hey, you know, it'll come. Whatever, whatever you want in life, you know, it's no need to expedite the process. You know, I just kind of ran off of that um, misinformed rites of passage in the manhood that so many, you know, of us ran out of and with our dynamics of, or um, uh, all of us coming out of single homes was pretty much the same. We relied on each other for misinformation, and that's how we all came up. Well, um, obviously you and uh, Tanya did a good job raising mm-hmm. Jordan, mm-hmm. but what, what, what other sports did he play, you know, coming up? Man, I had Jordan everything. <laughs> Look, See, he I, played – I think I saw him at my direct center that I retired from in Ocean City. Uh, I think I so. at a basketball yeah. tournament. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we literally played uh he, I think he started out at T ball because I knew it wasn't just about sports. And and to me funny story, I think that uh we had this um Tanya had a very good friend and the friend, you know, kinda had the gift of sight if you if you believe in that sort of thing. And I remember when he George when Tanya was still pregnant with Jordan, he said, Jordan is going to be, he's going to be born with asthma. He'll grow out of that. He's going to be good at some type of sport, right? So that always stuck in my mind. Right. And I literally, like, we started with T-ball, flag football, uh, <laughs> uh, basketball, you name it. Like, I always kept him active. Right. You know, it was like, son, you know, this is really, I, and I believe sports, are, especially at the youth level, are, are that's the new the, the social nutrition that young people should get, and I think that it's our responsibility as parents to give that to them. Wow. So literally, he played Hondo. He literally played everything. Yeah. Uh, he was a big guy, so we did, we really weren't aware after he came out of flag. And reg- I wasn't aware of any unlimited leagues at the time, so we went played basketball, and he played basketball from maybe seven. Played some baseball. He wasn't that great at it. He wasn't really great at anything. But I think he found his comfort zone being a big man in basketball. And uh, it's interesting because this one coach had uh, a coach, Bill Rogers, shout out to him. He was at Gilman at the time. And he used to follow me around. He kept saying, man, when Jordan was about 13 or 14, maybe eighth grade, he kept Mm -hmm. saying, Mr. McNair, I'm telling you, Jordan is a lineman. And I'm like, man, no, nah, we great go down Florida to the AAU championship. You know, we ain't, we ain't think about no football. And he kept saying, man, I'm telling you, he's a lineman. And I'm just glad I listened, you know, because I kept saying, no, nah, he's going to be 6'8". You know, don't worry, he's going, you know, he, I'm, he's going to be a basketball player. He's like, I'm telling you, he's a lineman. So he convinced us to get with this uh, AAU league. And Jordan was always the biggest guy everywhere we went at. You know, Jordan was – he was a size 14 shoe, I maybe think, at 14 years old. You know, yeah. like he was in middle school. He was in high in middle school with, as a size 14. Wow. So you already know he was a big guy. And uh, 
man, you know, we got into it. I mean, we, I told them, I, uh, so the uh, Hamilton football program, they were unlimited league. And they came over, went, a couple of coaches came over, and they had a guy with them. And, Hondo, this was the first time I saw a guy bigger than Jordan, literally, mm. in my <laughs> life, in his life. Like, dang, wow, you know, this guy, this guy's bigger than Jordan. And, and this guy's foot was just as big as Jordan. And, and how old was he? They, they went to eighth grade. Yeah, they were in eighth grade? Oh, wow. They were in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it was like, wow. Okay, so the good thing with Jordan was, Jordan didn't know a lot about football, the mechanics of football, but he was a coach's dream because, first of all, he had the size and he had basketball feet. So when he came out there, he was actually, he was the slowest thing on the basketball court. But when he came out there, he was quick. Right. And everything else just kind of came together. So when coaches would kind of see that, you know, obviously they just saw potential there. And he was a good kid. You know, he was, he was a really good kid. He was a coachable kid. And – uh, you know, really, it was just like, you know, he had a good temperament. He didn't complain. And those are the things that I kind of like, you know, blame myself for because I'm like never really told him. I always told him to speak up around his peers. Like, don't let nobody bully you. Don't right. be afraid to defend yourself. Those type of lessons. I never really taught him like, son, if your body tells you to stop, stop. You know, look, if a coach asks you to do something and you're uncomfortable doing it, don't do it. So I didn't give him those tools. Where in reality, I just came out of that mindset with, you know, coaches, coach, and parents, uh, parents type thing. Yes, I got you. Yeah, yep. Well, um, how did he – he ended up going to McDonald High School, right? Yeah, he wound up going to McDonough. He was even highly recruited in the, uh, hey, in how the eighth grade. How did that school? Uh, man, I'm going to tell you, you know, McDonough you, – you had a lot of schools that really at that time were kind of offering the, the stars and the moon in a sense, right? And – uh, one school in particular, uh, it was just like, hey, you know what? You know, we want them to come here and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And one thing about public school was, you know, Jordan was a, a good student. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of times in public schools, once again, that disservice. And, I, and I'm not totally against public schools, but I think a lot of times students are based on their, they're graded on their behavior versus their academic level. Okay. And I think that, you know, hey, he was a good kid. He didn't... Um, he didn't um, uh, you didn't really make no noise you didn't get a teacher no headaches so again hey you're a good student in her eyes like oh I'm giving them this A's and B's and it was like okay cool one of the schools wanted him to be um, have algebra one at that time and um, um, and it was uh, I can't I'm trying to think what school that was but they wanted him to have algebra one so already be but he wasn't in algebra one in the eighth grade and one of the main things with them was they wanted him to reclass right so they wanted oh. him to stay back for a year. And I'm like, man, he can barely sit at the desk now. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> he already 6'3", you know, already in the eighth grade. Like, what you mean? I, you know, of course, we won't reclass. And McDonough really didn't ever, they didn't promise ever, They didn't promise anything. It was just really a good fit. And literally had a really good bridge program. So all of the student athletes that were coming in, maybe for public schools, they got them up to speed with that curriculum, that private school curriculum. And that was just one of the things that I admired, man. And I'm just so glad we made the choice. And the good thing about McDonough also was um, they were literally around the corner from, you know, where we lived at that time. So that was well, ideal. Well, that was great. Yeah. So, I mean, he could have literally walked to school, you know, if, if he had to. But, you know, of course, between the bus and all that. But, yeah, so it, it was just really, really a good fit for us. Well, obviously, he was pretty good. He um, 
was touted as a four-star recruit and ranked in the top 25 nationally on the offensive line. Yeah. ESPN and Scott. So that, that was a great award or selection for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was a really good fit. Um, at McDonough, he had a coach. Uh, coach uh, uh, coach is going to kill me. Uh, coach Spence Falau. So Coach uh-huh. was a lineman. You know, he played with that 2000 race team when they won the Super Bowl. Wow. He probably spent like maybe seven, seven, nine, seven years in the league. I could be uh, some way off numbers-wise. But, right. you know, really like he had – uh, a real offensive lineman coach. And he just really kind of developed them from the first time he walked in the door in the weight room. And it was just like, you know, he taught him, he gave him the skill set to get to that level. Wow. That was yep. amazing. I yeah, I know. So. Right. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, he also was named to the American family insurance, all USA Maryland football team in 2016 and the Baltimore sun on much of first team right. in 2015 and 16. Okay. You know, he finally made a decision to go to Maryland, but was he considering other schools? Uh, Man, decision? We, we had so many. That box of mail under the bed, it probably had 5,500 pieces of mail in it. Jordan could have went anywhere, literally. Wow. He could have went anywhere. I, um, uh, <laughs> and look, he, as much as, I, much as I'm, a, I'm a Maryland, I'm a diehard Maryland fan, but – you right. know, really, it's like I wasn't at that time, but now, you know, since this whole this Jordan's this whole story is a choice. But, um, you know, really, Penn State was at the top of our list. Wow. And Penn State or Alabama. And as soon as he mm. committed to Maryland, I mean, like everybody was offering Jordan. Uh, Penn State, we had kind of developed like a symbiotic relationship with Coach Franklin. And, right. uh, man, as soon as, uh, 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 soon as he committed to Maryland – Literally, Alabama was at the school literally three days later trying to flip him. And I'm like, really? Jordan, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, Jordan, you know, really, you you know, this is your first major decision in life. You know, like, you got to keep your word. If you committed to Maryland, you know, hey, this is where you got to, you know, this is where you got to, hey, look, keep your word and do what you're going to do. And I used to hate to see kids play the hat game and all that type of stuff, especially when it came to signing day or – Right. You know, I just think that, you know, really, you know, with parent involvement and things like that, um, for us, you know, his decision to go to Maryland, his decision was to win the championship. Our decision was life after football. Right. And to us, you know, really life after football really just kind of um, made, you know, it really kind of coincided or just went hand in hand with, uh, with what he was thinking as well. Well, he obviously must have had an exciting uh, recruiting journey. Oh man, it was. It literally we was we funny <laughs> stories, a lot of funny. I told one when I spoke, you know, it was just like right. yeah, a lot of lot of trips and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting to say the least. Well, how was his career going at Maryland? Man, um, you know what? I, like I mentioned, you know, when I the other day, you know, I asked two questions when you know coaches were sitting at our table a couple of days before signing day. I like every every parent in America, you know, I I just want to know two things. You know, can he play? Can can he get? Can he play? That's all I ask. Is he gonna get some playing time? Right. I never thought to ask all of the the questions that really mattered, like you know, what type of um, emergency action plans, or you know, as a parent, who knows that? But you know, I think that in the event of you know your child gets hurt or something like that, you know, what would they? You know, what systems are in place to protect them? But I just think that you know, as as I and I speak for parents in America where. We just pretty much asked, you know, the main two questions all throughout their sport and career. 
is, hey, uh, uh, or their athletic career, um, can they play and why is my child sitting on the bench? Why is he or she sitting on the bench? Why aren't they playing? Hear those a lot. It's a laundry list of questions that should be way should be asked long before we even concerned about that type of stuff at all. Yep. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Marty, take me back to that day when you were informed about Jordan's, uh, I guess, collapse and, and what, what was told to you. Yeah, so basically we um, I talked to Jordan like the day before, and we were just talking about, hey, you know, I know practice starts tomorrow. Um, man, look, you know, have a good practice. You know, call me later in the week, and that was pretty much it. You know, he was just mm-hmm. – excited as because he you couldn't have told him he wasn't going to get to the next level and so he was just excited as you know he liked playing that was the sport and he really kind of saw that and and um let me let me digress because i remember when he was in basketball i mean if in um in um high school he played basketball all the way up until the 10th grade and man when he told me he said dad I, i'm a, i'm i'm not playing basketball anymore and i'm like what <laughs> like, I, why not give it one more year at least you know because i still like to see him play because he could play right and he was just like nah i'm, I'm gonna focus on football so uh when we got that call i talked to him the day before uh the day before he, you know just hey have a good day of practice tomorrow uh are you ready yeah i'm ready um all right i'll talk to you later in the week so the following day we got a phone call and a phone call was from a, a um, campus police officer and was just saying how jordan had uh had a uh uh, a seizure on a football field. And, and, you know, you don't, I'm not a panic button pusher type guy. So it's like, okay, you know, let's, let me go get his mom. You know, let me try to keep her, let me get Tanya, you know, let's try to stay, you know, calm and route to the hospital. Right. And when we got to the hospital, basically he was in a cooling suit and still, still not really even knowing the magnitude of what had happened. Right. Uh, so at that point, you know, when I came in, I, I, now my questioning really starts. You know, what are you at? What's the normal question? Hey, what happened? I asked the athletic trainers at the time, like, you know, had this happened to either one of you? And I'm just thinking, yeah, everything's cool. Yeah, he went down. All right, he'll be all right in a couple of days. So as as the days go by, the next day, they airlifted Jordan to shock trauma. And, I mean, really, we went from a healthy kid Tuesday to literally a emergency liver transplant Friday. Uh, and the, do- the doctor literally told us, uh, if you all don't make a decision to get an le- emergency liver transplant, he'll be dead within 12 hours. Mm. And his liver is 85% necrosis. And it's like, what do you mean necrosis? And it's like, his liver is dead. And it's like, wait a minute, what, this is Friday. What happened, what happened Tuesday, between Tuesday and now? So he went had a liver transplant. And and I had Hondo. It was really interesting for me because, um, you know, he was a it was a great kid. These were the, the roughest two weeks we ever had in his life, and yeah. I was literally optimistic all the way up until maybe the day, maybe two days before he passed. And I knew he wasn't going to play football again. I, I knew that, but I, I figured he could pull through. And we had a very very strong faith system and and a lot of a lot of support. And however, you know, I'm in, in my research, because literally I felt like I went to medical school, I would tell nurses and doctors frequently like, hey, you know what, put that in layman's terms. I wasn't in your, in your nursing class or in your medical class about this. You right. know, talk to me like, you know, give me something I can understand. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of sleepless nights because I would literally just come home after visiting hours and just research everything that they said that day. You know, and I just literally got very, very versed in what had happened. And um, 
realized, like, I still didn't know the particulars of what happened, but I understood what was going on at that time. Mm. And when I kind of found out what happened and the length of time, and it just really turned into a, uh, a very, very uh, painful, um, um, excruciating, emotionally um, three years for us because it was just like, wow, you know, Jordan passed on the 13th. It was just, I believe that really was so much damage done that the liver transplant alone couldn't have saved him from all of the other stuff that was going on with him as a result of his injury. And the thing is, it really wasn't a, it was a result of the injury, but it was, it was a matter of what was done versus what wasn't done. And for us, you know, once I really kind of found out what happened, who did what, who didn't do what, you know, all these things, we know what didn't happen, you know, what systems weren't in place. And it really boiled down to, um, I can confidently say now that there wasn't, they, there was a, of course it was an emergency action plan, but it wasn't executed. It wasn't practiced by the, the medical professionals uh, uh, that were there at that particular time. And really that's what, you know, the end result was. And I, I don't think that, you know, you go through all these things in your mind, like why my son, you know, was he personally attacked or all these different things. And I just really think that, you know, whoever would have went down that day, it probably would have been the same thing because, you know, ill preparation is ill preparation. Um, okay. Now, I don't think that the, the aftershock, uh, in regards to the work that we do would have been done. I can't say yay or nay to that, but I know whoever would have went down, it would have literally been the same thing because they just weren't prepared for this type of injury. And again, the EA, you know, that, that fire drill, I tell people all the time, in layman's terms, you know, we focus on the athletic fire drill, you know, even though it's way more stuff that can happen beyond a fire, but that's what it looks like. We practice a fire drill, so we – focus on emergency action plans and how to run them and all these different things in regards to the type of injuries that can happen. So for sports, we already know it's not a matter of what's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen and are we prepared when it happens. And it must have been a parent's nightmare. Oh man, it was, it was tough. You know, as a father, it was extremely rough because, you know, really my questioning started when I walked in the ER. So you can imagine, like, how many times, you know, I question myself and Tanya and I, you know, just question ourselves, like, what did we miss? Yeah. Like, we missed something. Like, what did we miss? And that was really the things that really kind of got to me. Like, what didn't I protect them from? Because as a father, you're a provider. You're a protector. Right. Right. You know, like, what didn't I give? What tools didn't I give him for him to get around this or for him to and, – and I gave him everything that I have. I didn't – I couldn't – and what I realized was I couldn't have gave him what I didn't know. Right. Yeah, and that was that was pretty much it regarding that. But um, you know, that was really the main thing, man. Like you, you really take these things on from a personal perspective, and it's just like, man, you know, like um, I, I don't, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you know, these are just you know the realities of of, of these type of things, yeah. and that's why we decided to, you know, what if we don't know these things about these type of injuries or heat related injury? How many parents in America? don't know. And then when I start really getting information on the statistics of how many young people are, are dying from these type of preventable injuries, it really was like, oh, no, man, somebody got to do something at this point. Yeah. Well, yeah. you are such an inspirational inspiration to every sports family in Maryland and around the nation. Thank you. Thank you, you. You've turned this tragic situation into something positive with the Jordan McNair Foundation. Speak a little bit about the foundation. 
So um, what we did was, and I just kind of gave you the, the backstory or the framework for, you know, what motivated us. Um, one thing for me, Hondo, you know, really both of my parents are still living, you know, I'm only child. So, you know, really the life cycle of a child passing before you is just, un- it's not natural. It's no, unnatural. No. So you could imagine like, this was really my first bout with death and my immediate, immediate family. Like, this is mine. And, man, that thing just really kind of um, – I, I said to myself, you know, one evening, like, you know what, I can let this take me – and I kept – one of the things I was saying, I kept saying to Jordan, like, you know, really we went from a conversation May 28th to yeah. if you can hear me squeeze my finger, you know, and that was there's some of it, like blink your eyes and all these type of just very, very basic commands. Like, son, we hear – Blink your eyes if you can hit if he was still coherent, you know, without being under all this, you know, why he was in the, and he was very, very sick. So being in that process or in that, that, that process of just um, the illness in a sense. And, you know, one of the main things I always said, you know, it, it was a pink book and the pink book, when you're in ICU, basically they give you this, this pamphlet, like a, a, a leaflet or a book with, you know, some binders in it, like a three ring binder with all this info. Mm-hmm. And what they do, you know, they encourage you to write to, you know, your loved one and hopefully prayerfully they'll come out of it and they can look back and read these things. Right. right. And, you know, one of the things I kept telling Jordan, like, you know, you're going to have a story once you come out of this, mm-hmm. you're going to have a fantastic story once you come out of this. And, you know, even in regards to his story, I'm like, man, you know what, you know, and, and I would just write every day. Every time I come in, I write something you know, this person came to see you, you know, blah, 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 or whatever. Hoping that he would come out of this and read this stuff, right? Uh And I'd always told him his story would would change the world or or save some lives. And so I'd always had an advocacy spirit, and I encouraged that in him as well. And uh, when when Jordan passed, you know, it was like, oh, you know, we're going to start a foundation. And I knew that if I didn't start a foundation, and luckily – you know, Tanya and I have always kind of been joined at the hip. You know, we've always co-parented extremely well. So I right. think that I may have been the uh, nucleus really far as a, a uh, positive uh, lead here in a sense, for lack of a better term. And I was just basically saying, like, you know what? You know, if we don't let – if I don't let my grief consume me negatively, I'll literally – I'll be in, I'll be under the cover somewhere or worse. You know, it was a lot going on. You know, you don't know who yeah. to blame. You want to blame somebody, you know, and right. it was just like, eh, you know what, we got to do something. And um, I just said, you know what, if we don't know these things, how many other parents don't know these things? And, right. you know, I start looking at, you know, Jordan may have been the 31st student athlete that died from this type of injury since the year 2000 at, in the NCAA. Mm. And I was just like, I had never heard it of a 30. Like, why hadn't I heard about it? And it was like, you know what, let's use our platform and make a difference. And, you know, my grief just really went into the work that we do. Um, so our main goal really was uh, to uh, create some type of awareness around uh, youth empowerment, student-athlete empowerment. And what that meant was the one thing I didn't teach Jordan was listen to your body, son. If your body tells you to stop, stop. Right. If a coach makes you feel uncomfortable – say something you ain't you ain't got to be you know waving a sign but speak up and say something to me or somebody to the point we can look into it and you know advocate for you um and then all the rest of it was how do we promote awareness education and the prevention around heat related injuries and that was really the main thing because 
you know, how many other parents don't know these things? And like, you know, even when I Jordan came up, man, all these places I've taken them across the nation, sports combines, sports clinics, college visits, this, that, all these places he played and all these different things. Hondo, I never saw a piece of safety equipment. <laughs> no, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying it wasn't there, but nobody made me aware that, hey, we got cold water tubs here. We got an AD machine here. We have an emergency action plan. You know, like you might have to ask somebody where the bathroom is. So, of course, if you got to ask that, they weren't telling you where um, some safety equipment was. And that was one of the things that I told people all the time. Like when we met a couple of weeks ago in, uh, in, in Texas, the last time I, I was in that part of Texas was I brought Jordan down. He and I came down for the Army Combine in right. 2016. I think it was January New Year's Day of 2016. And, like, all I've ever done you know, in combines is watch him play. Like, there was no parent education. There was nothing. Mm. In the event of, here we go assuming, you know, same way I assume with a Big Ten school, like, oh, they got it. Where in reality, I don't know if you got it or not if I'm asking questions. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, that was really the thing that really kind of, you know, uh, uh, led our mission. Like, we have to educate people and let them know, especially when it comes to our our most precious gifts, which is our young people. Like, you know, we can't do this. Absolutely. We can't just let them, you know, let our, we give our young people up to somebody and we don't know whether or not, you know, they're qualified or certified or anything to, you know, take care of them in the event of. And that's just one of the things that we wanted to advocate on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you also have been an advocate for the Jordan McNair Safe and Fair Play Act. Yeah. This is what what the act is uh so basically with the uh jordan mcnair safe and fair play act at the collegiate level uh basically this is that nil bill the name image and likeness bill right okay and basically this is where student athletes are getting paid for their name image and likeness at the collegiate right. level now the interesting thing about the state of maryland hondo was we are the best example of what to do with this bill because guess what you know what we put the safety and we put the safety and well-being of a student athlete before we were worried about paying them. So what does that look like? So basically what this looks like is guess what? We're worried. We're more concerned about you returning to play. If you've been injured, we're more concerned about your mental aware, your mental health, right? We are more concerned about your emotional health. We're more concerned about you being safe first and foremost, before we thinking about paying you to play. And those were the things that we were very, very adamant about. And that was really the only way that I would even participate in that bill or let Jordan's name be attached to it because I didn't want to put his name in or attach his name to anything from a notoriety perspective if it didn't align with the mission of our foundation or the work that we do. Right. And the interesting thing, and I say, and I applaud the state of Maryland so much because guess what? We did it. We had a bipartisan effort. So you had a, uh, Demo a Democratic, a, a legislator that was a Democratic, a Democrat, I'm sorry. And you had a senator that was a Republican. Okay. Right. And we got the we got the law passed because at the end of the day, regardless of your political views, your religious views, and I can go on and on and on about your various cultural views or whatever. Right. The one thing that brings us all together is sports. Right. The one thing that brings us all together is that we can all relate to being parents, parents of student athletes. And these are the things that are more folk that are more important than 
paying the kid first. And that was one of the things that, you know, we've kind of advocated, worked with a couple of um, senators. We went in front of Congress back in uh, June of this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, Maryland was a good example of an outlier. However, a lot of states just aren't. And even at the federal level, our main goal was really to create a baseline standard across the nation, where in reality, this is the same law that applies to all 52 states. Right. Easier said than done, but that's really the, 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 main, the main focus of that bill. And it's like, hey, so I talked to more individual legislators and senators and, and, and uh, decision makers individually as opposed to us just saying, you know what, if we got this passed as a federal mandate, this is what is cro- this is what it is across the board, as opposed to uh, the health and safety component of it is more important than all of the other stuff. Well, I'm excited that you got that passed, especially. In no, Maryland. man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, uh, the state of Maryland, man, you know, really has, um, man, been beyond supportive. I, I really think that you know, I'm a firm believer that. You know, Jordan was everybody's son, everybody's grandson, everybody's teammate. You know, like we can all all relate to this. Yep. Well, I know you've been extremely busy, and um, including becoming an author. Is that correct? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and Hondo, I'm gonna tell you, even and, and even when I look back at these things, and even when you you know gave the description of me. I'm just like, wow, man, like, you know, I had no idea we did all these things. And, and luckily, you know, I had a great legal team um, through the litigation process. You know, luckily we um, uh, uh, created some really good relationships in regards to uh, our relationship with the University of Maryland. Um, just, man, you know, that was a really dynamic um, scenario just to say, hey, you know what, if if we made, if we erred a judgment, how do we make it right from a perspective of not allowing it to happen here or let's clean up and do what we need to do uh, in regards to that. So that relationship is really good. I'm just really glad that we created something tangible that bigger organizations would even want to partner with because, you know, we were going to do it regardless. You know, I think, you know, the main, we were kind of laser, we're laser focused in regards to our safety mission. But um, in regards to the author thing, man, you know, I always, you know, everybody says they got a book in them. And, and I started writing uh, <laughs> back in maybe October of 2019. And literally, man, like, you know, I would, you know, kind of write, you know, put it down, pick it up, put it down, pick it up. Oh, yeah. And then when, when, when that quarantine kicked in, I said, if I can't finish it now, you know, <laughs> my first one anyway. And man, I just took full advantage of, you know, being stuck in the house. <laughs> like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to finish this book right at this time. So that's, that was a good part for us. Well, and, and, and the interesting thing about the book, Hondo, you know, really, I kept, I didn't even write with the intention of who did I want to focus on? Or who did I want to attract? And really it, it attracts everybody. I get so many calls from people that are in different parts of their life, co-parenting, raising kids, student athlete safety, my redemption, my story. Um, I had a friend of mine that was really interesting. She called me, you know, I talk about my, you know, where I was, you know, prior to Jordan being born and just my whole redemptive story. And man, you know, really, it was a young lady that was, um, uh, she had, she was diagnosed with cancer and she had became addicted to her pain medication. And she was saying, she read my book and, you know, she was like, you know, wow, like really your book highlighted that she got with her family and, you know, really did what was necessary to get in the treatment and everything. 
And she was like, Marty, I took your book to treatment with me. And, you know, like, I, I didn't want to give it away, but, you know, she was like, I definitely shared with everybody that was in treatment with me. Like, you know, this is a book that everybody should read because I just think that, you know, really that was just one aspect of a population or a genre that it spoke to. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took advantage of that, that COVID too, and I, and I just finished my first book. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, mine's a little memoir. Uh, Good stuff. Is it already published yet? No, no, it's just it's being edited right now as we speak. Oh, cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But um uh and what's what was the name of the book for, for my listeners? Uh Can My Child Play? The questions we should have asked. Okay, good. <clears throat> and you can get that on uh, hold on, let me let me plug it out all the way. You can get that on Amazon, but if you get it from um if you go to the Jordan McNair Foundation dot org website, I'll make sure I sign a copy. So you know, maybe a couple little pieces of swag or whatever like that when you buy the book from us. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty, tell me listen to a little bit about your behavioral health program. So, um, yeah, I own a, a, a behavior, I co-own a behavioral health and a mental health program, behavioral health and mental health program, right? Yeah. And basically, so, I'm sorry, substance abuse and behavior, mental health, behavioral health, it all kind of ties in together. Right. And one of the main things that uh, we do, uh, we started literally uh, maybe about, man. How long ago? Me and my business partner, you know, his son went to McDonough as well. We weren't the best of friends at the time. You know, it was a business opportunity. I was just in the insurance business. Some things were changing in the insurance business. I've always been like a, a business owner, so you know, I've always been like a self-starter and uh, some things were changing in the, in the insurance arena. And I was just looking at my next venture and I really wanted to go into assisted living business. And he and I were talking and it was like, you know what, you know, come on and go to this turnkey seminar with me. Uh, he and I started a transitional house called Mikasa Sukasa Behavioral Health. I'm, I'm sorry. It was called Mikasa Sukasa, which is in Hispanic is my house is your house. And all we really wanted to do at that point was just help people. Um, homeless males, you know, just get back on their feet, um, things like that. So when we would get homeless males in, you know, from a... Yeah, I'm sure. You know, basically what we consistently saw was three things that are consistent. Housing, there was some type of mental health or behavioral health challenge, and substance abuse was always a challenge. That's why they would always be in transition because they're trying to get themselves together. So after we kind of went through that for about a year, and then we found our niche in this uh, reentry arena. So we've got housing, or I got some grant monies for all these reentering citizens. So Hondo, this was this is a podcast all by itself, but we had got all these lifers that were coming out. So we may, we may have gotten funded for about ten to fifteen lifers, and these were guys that had did a minimum of forty four years, a max of fifty one years. So. Mm. Wow. When these guys were getting out, you know, you can imagine this is like, you know, dealing with a uh, uh, a group full of Rip Van Winkles, to say the least, you know, just because uh-huh. they had been gone that long. And mm-hmm. one of the things was, you know, we kind of constantly learned, like, okay, a lot of them didn't have, they had more behavioral health issues. I, I mean, as you can imagine being incarcerated that long. But, uh-huh. you know, when we started sending a lot of our guys out, um, not many of the reentering citizens, but just all of them were reentering citizens in one way or another. But we start sending people out to um, outpatient substance abuse programs, just trying to keep them busy. 
Just trying to give them like a, a, a fast track or a realistic track to back into society successfully. And one of the things when we were going out with these um, outpatient programs, mental health or substance abuse programs, one of the things that everybody kept trying to focus on was, was retention. How do I get these people to come back every day consistently? Right. And we had the most important thing. We had housing. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you got to house them. A lot of people are homeless. You know, they, their housing scenarios may be, you know, kind of all over the place. So you can imagine if that's a, if that's a major component, you know, the likelihood of them coming back to treatment uh, every day may be, you know, very, very slim. However, if they're in a housing component with the man, this is mandatory housing is mandatory uh, substance abuse is mandatory with housing or they go hand in hand. Obviously that person going to show up every day because now they have the structure, they have the consistency, they have all of the resources for them to be successful. And we jumped into the uh, substance abuse arena back in 2016. And I mean, we've been kind of running strong ever since then. Um, man, we, we did start out with men. Then we did uh, men and women, which was kind of challenging. Then we came yeah. back to men. So yeah, but we've been up and running for a while. So uh, it's been coming along. And the main thing, mm-hmm. Hondo, you know, I'd always advocated, like I was telling you before we started about my podcast, you know, really, I'd always been an advocate anyway. So when Jordan passed, my lanes just switched. So it wasn't like this is something that, oh, wow, he does this. This is something that I've been doing all along. Okay. So, you know, this was just like, this wasn't new to me. Like, you know, advocacy wasn't new to me. Like I'd always been kind of advocating for that other arena of folks as well. Excellent program. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Jordan, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Marty, uh, what would you tell kids about following their dreams? Man, I, I, you know what? I just tell, I would, you know, I, I say like this, you know, realistically, uh, whatever you want to be, I, I feel that you can do it, you know, realistically. Um, and, and again, I, I was, I, I like this term, you know, hey, if you, you're never going to fail big if you don't shoot big, you know. So right. I just think that, you know, young people, um, I emphasize to them, hey, whatever it is you're doing, just have a plan, you know, and, and realistically go at it and know when, you know, hey, if, if you want to be a, a, a professional athlete, you know, are you really willing to put the work in that it takes to be a professional athlete? And really, are you going to have the consistency? Are you going to have the discipline and all these different things to get to that level? You know, now, if you want to be a writer, hey, guess what? You can be whatever you want to do. You just have to apply yourself. Right. Um, as a parent, I think, for you know, for me with Jordan, Jordan wanted to go to the NFL. All I wanted was a degree. So, you know, it's like <laughs> my, it was my job as a parent really to just kind of motivate him and support his wishes or his dreams of these things. And that was really the main thing, whether he got there or not, I was all right with it, you know, because again, I, the things I supported him on, he would have been okay anyway. But I just really think that um, as a parent, you know, it's our, our goal really to support their dreams. And, you know, less at times, if we just got to be a tad bit realistic on what makes sense versus what doesn't make sense, you know, that's really our goal as well, really to kind of let them know that. Um. Marty, I'm a promoter of good sportsmanship in youth sports and always have. Mm-hmm. What role would you say good sportsmanship plays in, in youth sports? Man, because, I mean, it, it, it just prepares them for life. Um, so I, I think it plays a significant role because, as I mentioned earlier, Hondo, you know, really sports is, is social nutrition. You know, sports is social nutrition. And social nutrition meaning, guess what? This is where I start interacting with people. Right. And good sportsmanship means, guess what? You know, like they said, I'm, I'm sorry, not, I'm not they, but 
like, you know, that phrase goes, you know, quitting is the easiest habit that to, to, to start and the hardest one to break. So I think as parents, it's our goal to guess what? You know what? If you said, okay, hey, you're playing this sport and you're playing for this season, guess what? If you don't like the sport, guess what? Finish the season out. I'm just not going to let you quit because if you quit, you're quitting on your teammates, you're quitting on yourself, and that just turns into a really, really good habit. I mean, a really, really bad habit. Right. But the sportsmanship is, is significant because at the end of the day, like I said, it's more about social nutrition. This ain't about wins and losses. It's about the interaction with the other people, interaction with different cultures, interaction with this and how to work as a team. So we're really preparing young people with life through good sportsmanship. You know, and those are the things to me that really, really make a big difference in regards to youth sports. That's where it starts at. Like everything that I just mentioned, if I had gave those things to Jordan early on, as opposed to saying, son, you know, when you got to this age, by the time he got to college, you know, I, I, missed, a, I missed a couple lessons along the way. But I think that if I gave them to him early on, speak up if you don't feel, uncom- if you feel uncomfortable by anybody asking you to do something. Um, guess what? Just come back and tell mom and dad, you know, if you see any of your teammates being something, listen to your body, you know, please, if your body tells you to stop, stop. And those are tools and, and nuggets or seeds that need to be planted with young people at the age. I mean, at the youth level at this point, because if they're going to play more than likely, they're going to be lifelong athletes. And these are things that they need to have. They need to have this foundation. Well, Marty, I wish you continued success in your efforts to promote safety for athletes. Is there anything else you would like to add? Hey, Hondo, I just tell your listeners, um, hey, thank you for listening to me. I hope you got something out of this. Please uh, visit our, our website, georgemcnairfoundation.org, and literally you can, I mean, really see the work that we're doing. We ask people to get involved. You know, don't be afraid to ask any questions. Um, get on our actual site, look at some trainings, look at some information that we're doing. And most importantly, if you got any questions, please, you know, my contact information is on the site. Uh, I'm literally, you know, only a phone call or a text or email away. So I just really encourage everybody to do those things if we can do anything to assist. Marty, before you leave, let me give my sponsor a plug here. Uh, The 78th episode of the Hondo Handy Podcast has been brought to you by Ed Hobbin Drywall and Custom Painting, including including residential and commercial power washing. Located at 36722 Roxana Road in Southfield, Delaware, Call them at 302-436-6277 or find them at the, on the web at edhymandrywall.com. My guest today has been Martin McNair, the father of Jordan McNair, former football player at the University of Maryland. Marty is the author of Can My Child Play? The question we should have asked. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Hondo. Take care. Remember, right. uh, if you think you can, you can. Yep. Stay safe. And keep well, you too.